You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello there, you're very welcome to the final episode of Season 2 and I've kept a very special guest for this episode. Our guest is the travel editor and writer Lucy White. Lucy was the last editor of that Irish institution of travel publications, Cara Magazine. And as you can imagine, with someone with that job, Lucy has some fascinating places and stories to share with us today. I have a brand new website called TravelTalesWithFergal.ie and you can find all the episodes there and links to all the podcast platforms and articles and photos and lots more. If my new website looks a little homemade, that's because it is homemade. By me. But everything you need is there. I'll have what is my favourite episode of each season out next week. The Happy Place bonus episode. I have some great guests already lined up for season 3 and I can't wait to share them with you. Follow Travel Tales with Fergal on Instagram for updates for when season 3 will be launched. The podcast is now listened to in over 75 countries and I've loved sharing travel tales with you and I look forward to sharing more soon. Now for Lucy. Hi Lucy, you're very welcome to the podcast. How did you end up coming to Ireland? Was that true? Cara magazine or how did you come to Ireland originally? No that was 15 years ago well this is my 15th year here and I was living in Dubai at the time I'd been there about maybe nearly three and a half years and I thought oh shall I will I move to London is that inevitable you know with my work and everything and my sister was living in Gorey at the time she'd been down there they had property uh, her and her husband so we came up I think I just there was just one summer I came over and stayed down there for a bit and we only had a, a day trip to Dublin I think and I thought oh maybe Ireland could be the one and my sister maintains that I booked I rang her one day and said I booked a one-way ticket to to Dublin I'm moving to Ireland and I'm really not that um impulsive at all yeah yeah uh, but yeah I, I didn't I as soon as I came here I know so I've been I've, I've been part of the furniture ever since <laughs> <laughs> And you, so you were, the, you know, Cara Magazine now, it, it stopped obviously because of COVID, but you were the editor, weren't you, when that happened? That's right. Yeah, I took the reins over from Fran Power, who was brilliant. And it was a very well old machine by the time I, because I started as deputy there. And then I took the reins and yeah, it was an amazing time. And I was always at the time felt so privileged working on it because it's such a long running magazine through various publishers so you just felt like a custodian that you just it was very privileged um and gosh yeah the amount of places I've been to that I would never have been to otherwise and people I've met um and photographers world-class photographers I've worked with and writers and everything so yeah it was an absolute dream job and yes every now and then I have this wave of kind of emotion thinking of what I what I I kind of lost but I, I was very aware at the time you know, nothing lasts forever. This could be the best job I, I'll ever have. And oh, wow, what a job. So I have to be grateful for that, basically. I know. And I'm sure people have been saying to you over the last year, it's only when something goes that you realise how important it is. You yeah. know, I, I was saying to you before that, um, you know, going for me, going on the holiday was like once you got into your seat and I'd always have a book and then end up not reading the book. I'd take care of a magazine and mm. start going through it. And that's when the holiday started for so yeah. many people. Yeah, exactly. There was so much goodwill around the magazine because it tapped into that feeling of excitement. And, you know, you take that breath once you sit into your seat and you just 
can't wait to get out the other end. Um, so yeah, it was nice, really lovely to be involved in that, those kind of feel good um, emotions yeah. when people are traveling. And, and I'd say because of that job and obviously your travels over your life, that you probably have one of the hardest decisions to make, make cutting it down to five, I'd say. Oh, hideous. <laughs> I've been so <laughs> spoiled, really. Like even this morning, I was texting my parents to say, I'm going to be uh, interviewed on a podcast today. And mum was like, oh, what are you going to say about that time we went to Morocco? Morocco on a yoga trip it's like crap I completely forgot about that one <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, it's like I can't fit it all in but yeah how, how lucky am I so yeah <laughs> and um, if we go into it your very first one then I'm very I haven't actually been there and it's Vienna I feel guilty about not going there actually you know it's on my list <gasps> oh you must you must go yeah absolutely I've, I've first of all it was on my radar with a film before sunrise. I don't know if you ever saw that trilogy. Yeah. And love it. Like my a, fa- probably my three favourite ones. Me too. Loved it. And it was always a place I wanted to go to. And then finally uh, met a friend who I knew from a Dubai days actually. We just she flew there from Dubai. I flew there from Dublin somewhat before sunrise esque. We will make, meet you <laughs> at a sat a time and a place. Twice actually, but I think three years later we said, Oh, I'll meet you there again. But it was just so wonderful, like it had or has, maybe it still has a reputation to, for being quite prim and proper and probably, you know, the imperial architecture and what have you. Mm. It's not known particularly as being a particularly innovative place, perhaps. So it was very surprising to go there and we did this great bike tour with an architect and she was she was brilliant and she just took us around to all these places that had affordable housing schemes and it was all very inclusive, permissive place uh we went to some fabulous restaurants where they we had uh, there was a dessert and it was like a cigar shape and the ash you could eat the ash and the ashtray it was just so so curious and yeah that everybody was very open that we talked to we did a polaroid walking tour which is a great thing i'd recommend if it gosh i hope it's still going after the after covid but yeah, you just go around with an instant camera. Uh, so it's kind of part history tour, part photography. And obviously you oh. get to keep your little Polaroids at the end. Uh, so that was a cute way of seeing the city. Um, and the museums there, if, if you're into art at all, like I love Egon Schiele and, and Klimt. So they've got some uh, stunning, the Leopold Museum's fantastic, the Belvedere Palace. Uh, so yeah, it's just, this, you've got everything there. It's, it, it exceeded expectations. And just having a little quiet coffee, and a strudel um, in Cafe Spurl was like just the pinnacle. That was actually features in Before Sunrise. So if, if you do go, Fergal, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll send you there. that feature actually that I wrote. But it's just a beautiful, hushed atmosphere. You know, not oftentimes you'll go into a cafe anywhere else in the world and it's got music on and it's really loud. But there, there was just this lovely kind of peace and serenity and people chatting away in the little kind of curved booths. Uh, and it just felt lovely. And you could just imagine whiling entire days there, yeah. just people watching. And this the way the, the light came in and hit the tables. It was just beautiful. Really lovely place. And you mentioned about the Viennese Ball, the Spanish Riding Club. Yeah, that's right. It was the Fate Imperial uh, Balls, because they have dozens of balls throughout the season, basically. So we went to that one at the riding school. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. And it, we were there as a group of media, actually. So we were only allowed, <laughs> we had to go up to this, the kind of the gods, basically, yeah. just away from, you know, the, the 
the debutantes and everything, but we watched them on this checkerboard floor. And it was fantastic watching them all in their regalia and their white dresses and the, the boys. And do they still do that? Do they still, still do have it? The... Yeah. And they're, they're doing the Viennese waltz and they've got the live wow. band. Uh, there was royalty there, European royalty turned up. So we were literally on a red carpet going in <laughs> with wow. the loads of flashbulbs around thinking, and then Googling people later on going, oh, that was the, the princess of so-and-so. We've just kind of, they were just behind us. So that was really special. Yeah, I think in our imaginations, we thought maybe, oh, we'll get to do the Viennese waltz ourselves on on the dance floor. But no, <laughs> we were no. kept far, far away. <laughs> but it, it's another world, isn't it? Like, it, yeah. it's amazing that's still going on. It still exists. It? I mean, I wonder how long it will carry on for, really. But uh, like, obviously, your average Viennese mm. person wouldn't go necessarily to that. But that they do, a lot of them are fundraising uh, opportunities and there's there's a, like a gay ball as well so there's all sorts it's a big wow. it's not all yeah. very sort of snooty traditional just only for aristocrats there are you know anybody can buy a ticket yeah. to any of these anyway and so your next one then is very different you could go you're going from one to like to go from vienna to jordan uh so i was living in dubai at the time and actually it was the friend i went to vienna with claire uh mm. we went to petra i think it was about a five-day trip to Jordan. So we flew into Amman and then we, we headed off onwards to Petra. So, yeah, Petra is the main event, if you like. Um, and it's obviously, you see it on TV, on the films and Indiana Jones and what have you. So everybody knows what that looks like, that kind of money shot as you come through the caves. And then you see this uh, fabulous temple built into the side of the, sculpted into the side of the... Uh, mountain uh but it it still it was i hate everybody always says the word breathtaking there's so <laughs> many um in travel writing it's terrible there's so many trite expressions that you use um and it just kind of loses its meaning but it really did take the breath away wow. all these kind of rose colored the the stone i can't remember what this stone is actually called but it's almost like a marble effect and it was just unreal um and how many thousands of years old it was like how on earth they managed to chisel such ornate beautiful things into the side of the the hill there um and that was just the beginning of it and then you go through all these kind of winding labyrinthine almost well natural alleyways um and there's all these caves up on mountains as well that you can explore it was this huge site and we thought, gosh, there's a, a lot of walking here. Shall we have a donkey trip? <laughs> up? We wanted there was a particular spot that we wanted to go because I think you could, yeah, you could see crazy views into Syria and uh, so there were these uh, couple of Bedouin young men, Ahmed and Khalid, and we went with them for the rest of the day. Basically, they took us around, made us sweet mint tea like everybody in jordan drinks the sweetest fresh mint tea uh so they, they brought the teapot along uh and just like cooked it up on the side of this mountain and we just had the chats it was amazing we were talking about their life and that they loved living there they had no reason to want to live anywhere else it was such a beautiful place um and they i think were amused by our lives in dubai which was couldn't have been more polar opposite to, to where they were 
ancestors had, were from the area and that a lot of them had lived in caves. I think it was only the, only the 1970s that the government actually pushed them out of the caves uh, officially. And then they sent set up this Bedouin village like with proper how you know bricks and mortar housing yeah it was out the day just kind of rolled into evening and the actual site officially was closing down for the day so but we had it to ourselves it was just the two lads and me and Claire and the, our two donkeys uh, and night was <laughs> falling I mean it was pitch black but the moon was so bright as well so that was literally the only illumination the stars and I've, I've never seen the sky like it before or since there was shooting stars uh, and the donkeys we were going down these crazy cliff faces in the pitch black <laughs> like if, if, if i'd thought wow. if anybody said would you ever do would you do that would you choose to do it? i would be like no that's just terrifying but we were just so in the moment of it and even just going off with complete strangers as well <laughs> in, literally in the middle of nowhere there was no phone reception or anything uh so we really were off grid more than I ever have been normally um and then they took us to their Bedouin village we met their family um very very basic but everybody was so friendly again the the sweet mint tea came out because it's there's a big courtesy uh and then there was like oh should we go and have a, a like a barbecue in the desert so we're like yeah bring it on let's go <laughs> so there's one of the village elders came in a pickup truck and picked us up and went via a supermarket. And then the lads picked up some chicken, but they could only get frozen chicken. So if you try, <laughs> I mean, fortunately I'm vegetarian. So I'm like, well, I'm not eating any frozen chicken over an open fire anyway. So I'm not going to get, you know, deli belly <laughs> here. So I thought they must've got some vegetables or something for, for me, but yeah, God knows where we went somewhere, literally in the middle of a desert again, no phone signal whatever dropped us off the boys lit up a fire and started prepping the food and it was just one of those like what are we doing how are we here? <laughs> if you know you get told you're nervous i started nervous? to get nervous at that point actually like I, there was no reason for me to feel uncomfortable i didn't really but it did kind of hit me how vulnerable we were then uh you know you, as a woman as well or a gr little girl you said told don't talk to strangers <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. first thing uh and then suddenly you were didn't know where you were but it was honestly one of the, the most magical experiences um yeah I did have a bit of a wobble and I did think um, as soon as we kind of finished eating I thought okay I think we probably should head back so I can't remember what I said to Claire about or maybe you know the, I don't know I can't remember what happened uh, but we managed to um the, the pickup guy came to pick us all up and we got dropped off at the hotel when it was only about half 10 but as we got pulled up into the hotel there was a policeman and the hotel manager were waiting outside at the entrance going where have you been where have you been we're like oh what what's the matter and they thought because it's people literally just come to see the ancient site nobody stays out after dark or anything it's, it's not a party town put it that way so even half 10 for them was like super late as, and something must have gone wrong or we must have fallen off a, a hill or a cliff or something. But no, we, do, we were just there having the time of our life and <laughs> we were just kind of under this spell. Um, and I don't kind of don't ever want to go back there again because, you know, that way when you've had such a magical time, 
And you think, I'll, I'll never better that. That was just so unique and it'll never happen again. And there's no point. Like we did um, exchange emails and we, we rang each other occasionally to, to see how we, they were. Um, but then it, yeah, it felt, felt like a bit of a fever dream in a way. And I would never want to try and find out, pick up with them ever again because it was just special. Yeah. And you know, you kind of summed up there, you know, you said you're told not to talk to strangers, but when you're traveling, that's the key, isn't it? To be open. Yes. Because they're the best opportunities. The best times you have is when you are open and you take a little risk yeah. by by going off with a local somewhere. They're always the best ones. Definitely. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. But it does frustrate me a bit. And I have this conversation with a lot of female travel writers that we we do move through the world differently to men. So, you know, if I go on my own on a, a trip somewhere, I'm generally not experiencing the nightlife really. Like I don't, I'm happy to sit at a bar on my own and stuff like that, but not like till very late. Um, and it, yeah, I just wouldn't feel comfortable. You know, you have to choose very carefully where you want to stay. If you're, you know, a woman traveling on your own. True. Uh, when I was, commissioning features for Cara I'd be a lot more mindful if I if I'd commissioned a female writer than a male one like I wouldn't want to put you know if I'm sending somebody to LA I don't want to put her in this um guest house which is down a, a you know alleyways or difficult to, to get to or in a kind of a slightly gritty neighborhood or anything whereas I wouldn't have it wouldn't occur to me so much if it was one of the guys so uh yeah I feel like we miss out on things you would think as in Western women going to Western countries, even yeah. that you would just be able to go where the hell you want and feel okay about that. But, but you do have to keep your wits about you a bit more so and think about how you're going to get back to the, where you're staying. And would that affect who you'd pick to go on assignment then, whether it's male or female? Not, no, I wouldn't have done it that way, but it would just be more in terms of trying to sort out accommodation for people. Mm. I think it'd be more, to do with neighbourhoods or, you know, I'd even go onto street view maps sometimes just to see, you know, if they get, get coming from a, a metro or a subway or the late, a bus stop or any of those things, just so it's, I feel com- that they're going to be more safe or, you know, that know. it's brightly lit or anything like that. I would just do a bit, probably a bit more, I'd be more mindful. Yeah. And when you were in that desert, um, I remember I was in India, in Rajasthan, camping out in the desert for a couple of days, went with camels, and uh, the sky was just, I remember sleeping out, we slept in sleeping bags out under the stars, and it was amazing. Like, the sky was just so many stars. Yeah. Didn't know there were so many. It was as if someone had taken the blinkers off. Yeah. It was like going from black and white to technicolor or something like that. It was really striking so you said just as an aside or you mentioned living in dubai like what's that like living in that's another place i haven't been to um, yeah i was there 2003 to 2006 and yeah a fascinating place i was working for a magazine for the first two years and then uh, an arab art gallery for the final year uh so yeah a fascinating place i mean it's it, infamously full of expats but everybody assumes oh that just means like loads of Brits abroad kind of thing but I've never met and worked with so many nationalities India Pakistan Lebanese Iranians South Africa's every every from everywhere basically which was more multicultural than I thought I thought it yeah I didn't know what to expect to be honest and I hadn't even visited before I moved over there like I'd accepted a job without even having been (laughs) and people take the mick out of it and as do I 
when you don't live there, you kind of read all these headlines about the various carry on and you see these embarrassing kind of influencer photos coming through of like these, these women with like little thong swimsuits on, like barely wearing anything in on the beach in a Muslim country. I didn't hang around with those types of people. And I think like finds like. So that was not my experience yeah. of my Dubai. Like we went camping in the the mountains and stuff like that. Um, I had very down to earth friends. Um, not everybody is out there having boob jobs and having their lips done or whatever. <laughs> so mine was kind of a, a fairly, I mean, we don't get me wrong. I did go to the opening of an envelope oftentimes. There was always, because <laughs> I worked for a magazine, you'd get invited to all these things. And I remember one night there was a, like about six fragrance launches or something around the city so me and a friend were just like yeah let's go we just wanted some and I was like 26 probably or 28 or something so we thought yeah let's go to all these things so we ended up going home swinging our bags full of like Bulgari perfumes (laughs) and stuff but you you just laughed about it while you were there you didn't take it seriously and that wasn't they're that's they're not my fondest memories actually they're the probably the silliest and most absurd like, would you recommend there to go out for a holiday because i yeah. know people who love it and who don't you know it's funny yeah like the weather's amazing i mean obviously it gets obscenely hot in summer but if you go uh, probably from da-da-da, maybe october through to april it's really comfortable um the, yeah it definitely feels like a safe place to go uh, and the water parks are amazing, like Wild Wadi, one of them. It's just fantastic, really high tech, uh, really good fun. I, I love the food. Gosh, um, probably more than anything, I miss the, the food of the Middle East. And um, so your next one, you, you summed it up, my opinion of it, amazing. One sentence, like, uh, you have a love-hate relationship with the place. Oh. I, I, have exa- I, I have exactly the same. And I have it with London as well. Ah. And then when I go, I, I I spend my whole time going, God, this place is amazing, you know. <laughs> but before, <laughs> is it the same for you with Paris? Yeah, like my first experience in Paris was just a day trip from the Loire Valley when I went on a a holiday with my friend's family when I think we were 15. So we were in the tent. Her parents were in the caravan. And all we wanted to do really is be by the pool with among the boys that we had crushes on at the time. So we weren't particularly impressed about having to go to Paris for the day. We were ungrateful little toads we were, that we were. So, yeah, I was kind of a nonplussed when I was 14 or 15. Yeah, in more recent times I've been, and it's definitely improved. Like I went, my sister had a birthday there got friends who live there um and one highlight for sure was uh i don't know if you've heard of dinner in white dinner en blanc um, and it's basically this it's a worldwide kind of posh pop-up dinner street party basically so if you can imagine about ten thousand people dressed in white um they have you have to be invited by somebody who's been to it before so it's quite exclusive but it's a free thing and basically these thousands of people they're waiting for a text message or an instruction to say we're going to be um outside the louvre from eight o'clock yeah pop-up dinner party a flash mob dinner party under the stars and in beside parisian landmarks so i was there 2015 where, where were it? Le, uh, Le Palais Royal 
in this beautiful courtyard. Mm. Um, but you literally don't know when it's going to start or the location, sorry, even till just before it's about to kick off. So I went, I was invited, I know a photographer in Paris and one of her friends is an organiser. So I, that's how I got invited, basically, with my friend who lives in Paris. So we had to go to a, a train outside of Paris to then meet a coach, come back into Paris to this secret location because it's completely hush-hush. Nobody knows except the organisers um, until it's announced. It's like raves kind of, you know, back in the days yeah. when we used to call, <laughs> make a phone call and there was an answer phone with, you know. Posh version. Yeah, yeah, very posh version. But it was extraordinary. Like the, the coach party that we were on, you literally, the, the whole point of it is you have to bring your own tables, chairs, linens, like tablecloths, um, plates, crockery, knives, forks, food, so uh, flowers, like people came with like little vases of flowers to put on the dinner tables. And it was all like a military operation once you actually got into the site, even, you know, how they'd laid out the tables and where they'd laid it out. And it's all done in cooperation with the authorities as well. And yeah, and then darkness fell, falls on the site. And then at a certain time, somebody gets the sparklers out and everybody's just like waving the sparklers. And it's just an, an extraordinary scene the best picnic you could ever go on really and then it's a a leave no trace policy they're very strict about it do you bring your own food literally bring everything from the chairs to the baguette to the the olives to you know you can bring what you want to eat drink and the tension is kind of not knowing where it is and having to get a taxi there i presume to the spot i mean we were so lucky because we were you know in cahoots with one of the organizers so we just literally turned up went with the flow i think we brought some baguettes i can't remember what we brought uh, we couldn't yeah. obviously bring much. I was only in Paris for three days, so I couldn't bring, you know, mm. furniture. <laughs> yeah. So that was all sorted for us. So we just kind of just went with the flow. Yeah, it was extraordinary. And then it doesn't go on for late. I can't remember what time it finished up, but it was literally everything got packed from whence it came back into the coach. It was spotless. Like then I actually went back to the site the following morning. Because I thought, how how does this even happen? And there was n- nothing. You would never have known that thousands of people were there having uh, an outdoor street party. It was absolutely pristine. And again, it felt like a dream. It was like, was I here last night? What did that happen with the you know twelve thousand people having dinner outside under the stars here? Because you wouldn't know like that. That could never happen in Ireland. You go around like looking at the litter. Uh, and do some people really go for it? Are there people there with like buckets of champagne and things like that? Or Yeah, but it wasn't rowdy. That was the thing. There was just something yeah. so respectful about it. And it was so dignified and civilized. Mm. Uh, again, I, I can't remember seeing anybody uh, drunk or disorderly yeah, yeah. or anything like that. There was nothing. Yeah, it was just really wholesome and yeah, civilized. Is, that a, is it a Paris thing or is that done all over the world? Did you say it's done they, in other yeah, countries? Yeah, it is, it is a global thing. I think I might be wrong. I think it might have started in Canada, I'm tempted to say, but I might be totally wrong. Okay, let's uh, look that up. Yeah, they're, they're all over the shop. I don't know how registration or invites are in different territories or what have you. As it's well. amazing when you talk about things like that now, you know, it's like a different world, oh. 20,000 coming together, you know. <laughs> Imagine. It just. Yeah, you forget how, how amazing travel was mm. <laughs> and just the little things of being on that train or, you know, exactly. brushing shoulders with people. It's just, uh, yeah, it feels being a very on long the plane. Time. Yeah. Imagine what it'd be like 
that first plane trip for each, every person who'd get when they're on, I think everyone would be just smiling at each other, yeah. waiting, you know. <laughs> There'll be a lot but, of um, uh, little bottles of bubbly, I think, on those Exactly, on those yeah, <laughs> for every flight, yeah. You're right, the the, the um, staff and places probably going, oh God, another, another group that are celebrating yeah. their, their first flight, probably electric. We need electric. more Prosecco. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that, oh, I have to say. Me too. Your next one, and I can re- again relate to what you're saying. You you kept it uh, general. It's the USA, yeah, because <laughs> so, it is amazing. I mean, and it is very diverse. Actually, you yeah. know, we think of it as monolithic, but it's not. It's very diverse country, isn't it? Totally. I mean, I've only really ever been to the more kind of liberal states as well. I haven't done any of the the Middle America at all, or any of the South, which I'd love to. See, I'm a bit, I've been to Florida, but mostly the kind of libita- libertarian mm. um, enclaves, basically like Florida Keys, which are very kind of hippie places. I've never been to North Florida or anything like that. So, yeah, I think I think for a lot of people of my my or our generation, you watch so many American TV and films and music, and especially in the nineties. It was just so America just seemed so big and beautiful and amazing. And I remember wanting to do American studies at university, actually. And I did apply for a couple and then I changed my mind. But a big draw of that was having a um, a term in living in the States as a student. And I really yeah. wanted, I was just kind of obsessed with America. And then I, did, I went on a family holiday to Orlando in 91 or something like that. And then uh, trip to new york when i was 21 uh but no it's just really through working on cara magazine i've actually been to the states a lot more and i've just yeah love the place really as much as the it has its issues shall we say i've just had really interesting trips and the last time i was there it was to the catskills um area so hudson valley upstate new york basically so it used to be really fashionable in the 60s 50s and 60s um it's known as the borscht belt for, for loads of jewish holiday makers from uh, mm. new york city would go up um and have their holidays there so dirty dancing for instance that was, was supposed to be set in in the catskills um and then there was the, the germans and irish settlers as well um moved there so yeah you go there now and there's lots of little irish communities as well so you go um oh east durham that was it you go in and there's all these irish names oh something shops um and barry's tea and a polystyrene cup in this little tea room Uh, and then old dance halls which have closed down and stuff which is a bit bleak at times and then you go into there's an irish alps kind of area and there's loads of chalets with yeah again lots of very irish surnames outside of it Uh, so there's still a huge irish community there in there and it's really interesting but now that you know we've had the jewish community the irish the germans now you've got people from brooklyn cannot afford like young people cannot afford to live in the bushwicks and williamsburgs so they've a lot of them have moved out you know two two and a half three hours north of new york city where mm. it's cheaper to move there but they've all come from well not all of them but very creative kind of publishing jobs or music industry or fashion industry and they're literally living on these like really little in the middle of nowhere um 
streets and they've just kind of rebuild in the community. And yeah, there's obviously there will be at some point if if it's not already there, it probably is the argument about gentrification and things like that. I've seen a lot of these cabins on Instagram, um, which are very fashionable. So I don't know what the locals make of it, to be quite honest. Like, are they like, oh, God, these city slickers coming in and taking our our properties? But mm. actually, so many of the places that we drove through were really run down. Yeah, if it gets to a point where it pushes anybody out, that's not great. But, yeah, it was very interesting that the people, their stories were really interesting, um, that they just felt like New York City is just so prohibitively expensive to to live in nowadays that they just cannot afford and they wanted to sacrifice the buzz of the city um just to to get out yeah i had it that was a really special trip actually and where where is uh, governor's island then is that where is that i see a jazz age loan party and that sounds yeah really interesting basically as i said i love the 1920s stuff and i came across there's a thing on governor's island called the jazz age lawn party and it's Governor's Island is off, just a, an island um, off. You get the ferry from Battery Park. So it's only, I think, about a 20-minute ferry journey across the water. And it used to have, it used to be a military island, so it's got barracks and stuff there now. But where is that? Where, where is Battery Park? What is that? It's is that basically, so, yeah, no. down yeah. bottom of Manhattan, basically. Okay. Uh, as it hits the water, so then... You go get the the ferry from there. Um, so yeah, you can either go to Liberty Island or you can go off to there to oh, Governors. Yeah. So they've tried to transform it and landscape it and make it a bit more family friendly and have festivals on it. But they've been throwing this Jazz Age lawn party, so everybody has to dress up what well, they want to because they're into nineteen twenties as well. So it's basically recreating the Roaring Twenties uh, with this uh, lawn party. Uh, so anybody can get a ticket to go. Um, it's just a whole day long thing. It doesn't go into nighttime or anything, but everybody literally, I mean, honestly, it looked like a film set. The, the costumes that people had on and the hair and the makeup, it was, you know, if, if there's ever any a flappers party, it's quite basic of, oh, I'll put a hairband on here and uh, some bugle beads or what have you. But this was, you could tell that people are really, really into it. And a lot of them were people that work in the fashion industry or well from all walks of life to be honest it's the people I knew happened to be um kind of more from from there or they work in museums or you know they're, they're interested in social history uh so they, yeah they had this big band uh, had a stage set there's some food trucks in there but then you could have vintage portraits taken not quite the same as the wet plate thing but uh but yeah vintage style but you were in heaven were you How was, was it heaven? like Gatsby it was, it did. It really felt like Gatsby and everybody had picnic blankets and it just, yeah, it completely looked like a Fitzgerald film set and the music was all from the era. And then at any one time, the loads of dancers will come out because there was a dance floor on, on the on the lawn as well where the band was um, and social dancing. So you could be sat on your, on your picnic blanket and somebody at a, a an immaculately turned out gentleman will come over and ask you to dance. It was just so old timey but cool. Uh, and then again, you take the ferry back to Manhattan, and then this this dream has, has disappeared again. You think, it's like were we there? Going hundred, going like a hundred years later, you know, yeah, back going in from time. that. 
And like, do people act differently when, when they're in costumes? Like, does it create an atmosphere? Definitely. Like I do. Like in Dublin, they used to have these film fatale parties and a lot of them, they were either at the Sugar uh, Club mm. or Emma for a time. And people really went to town and yeah, I would put my makeup on like the, the dark lip and the eye and yeah, I'd had all these kind of outfits planned and even probably walk different or I don't know. I wouldn't say a persona as such. And it's it's probably a form of cosplay, which is a bit nerdy, isn't it? Yeah, there's obviously something very escapist about it and probably comforting because you weren't there at the time. So you only see it through rose tinted glasses. Um, and I'm sure it was actually a really difficult period of history of time to live in. Uh, my, my my line is that um, we're going to go into the Roaring Twenties again. Yes, I hope know? so. I've got my bob back. I had my hair <laughs> yeah. done yesterday. <laughs> I'm waiting exactly. for the Roaring Twenties to roar back in. People have gone through something so awful. There will be an inevitable, like you know, like a day release. Like, oh my god, I can I can hug people, and I think there will be a bit of a hedonistic phase i hope so anyway i think a lot especially the young so. folks they deserve a bit of um bit of wildness it, it'll be interesting but um your next place i love i have to say um madrid most gorgeous city isn't it yeah it really really, really i've never been to barcelona which is weird in itself uh but madrid i really loved and i was only was a fairly fleeting visit but spain has, had always been I don't know, it kind of really made an impression on me. I think we went, I don't know, the late 80s or something when I was a family with my auntie and uncle and cousins. And I remember hearing, seeing flamenco for the first time. We were in this outdoor restaurant in the middle of nowhere and it must have been horrendously touristy, I suppose, but that's not how I remember it because I was really young. But I, I was blown away by these young girls who were probably my age and they had all this kind of makeup on and they had these flamenco dresses on and the way they moved their hands and the voices and everything I was just like I, I couldn't believe it it blew my mind I thought wow I love Spain as if that is all Spain is but it just felt yeah there's just something about it and then years later I was at school doing drama uh, GCSEs and we had Federico Garcia Lorca um, was on the curriculum, his play Blood Wedding. I didn't think much about it actually when I read the play, but then we went to see it um, performed in Leeds and it was just like, wow, and so obviously plays are meant to be seen, not to be read um, yeah. the script. So it came to life for me then and I got really into his work. And when I went to do my degree, I ended up doing my dissertation on his um, series, A Poet in New York. Um, and I've even got a little crescent moon tattoo um, trace from one of his little sketches. Like, I, I'm, that's how obsessed I was with Lorca at the time. And he, he was a poet playwright, born in 1898 and died in the Spanish Civil War, well, assassinated in 1936. He resonated with me and I, I've enjoyed his work. So fast forward many years later after college and everything, I'm in Dublin and there was a, an exhibition on at the Instituto Cervantes here and I was working at Metro newspaper at the time and 
I can't remember if she'd curated, I think she'd probably curated the exhibition, but it was the niece of Federico Garcia Lorca. And I had the opportunity to interview her. I was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is my somebody related to my, my hero. So I had to go and I think I only had about an hour. I didn't know I was go- I was even going to be doing the interview an hour before going over there. So I was like really nervous, weird. And I got there, uh, saw the exhibition and, and met her, Laura. And she actually runs the the Lorca, um, Lorca Institute, mm-hmm. if that's what they call it. I can't remember, in, in Madrid. Um, and we had this really intense conversation because at the time there was talk about the Spanish government, would they um, – basically so many people were thrown into mass graves. So there was the question of families of the people who had died, should they be their bodies be recovered to have individual private burials and what have you. Uh, so it was it had been all in the news. So I, I was asking Laura, you know, how would you how do you feel about this? Because some of the families were really insistent and really wanted to have closure by doing that. Uh, but she had said, no, we we just feel like Lorca is no more special than anybody else in those graves. We don't want him or anybody to be dug up or a second time. Let them rest in peace. Let them all rest in peace together. Um, but but the, when she was talking, we were both our eyes were filling up. It was just so weird. It was r- really intense. Is probably Yeah, intense is the word I would describe it and really emotional. And then she said at the end of the conversation, you know, you must come to Madrid, you know, do keep in touch. And she gave me her email address. And then I think, yeah, the following year, uh, me and my boyfriend, we thought, well, well, let's go to, you know, on a long weekend in Madrid or what have you. And I thought, well, I will. I'll have to look up Laura and I did, and we went over to oh, the foundation, that was it, Fondation, uh, and met her there, and she actually brought out original manuscripts from Poet in New York, so that was the what I wrote my dissertation on, basically. Uh, wow. She just kind of came out the vaults with the little gloves on and everything, so that was, uh, yeah, I couldn't quite believe it, really, that this was happening, and she gave me a little I was trying to trying to learn Spanish at the time so she gave me a little book of poet New York in Spanish and put a little note in it for me and so yeah you know that question of if you the house was on fire what would you what would you grab um and that would probably be it really that's that little book of poetry that she gifted me um yeah that was very special trip and you know when you're when you're following you know when you're inspired by someone like that you kind of don't think of them as a real person so you you know when you actually meet family yeah it almost seems totally surreal totally surreal yeah it's a flesh and blood person yeah. and especially because his work it's not like I look at it I mean I to be honest I rarely look at it nowadays and I think there's that hesitancy it's a bit like saying I don't ever want to go back to Petra or Mumbai or any of these places where you have such a special connection with because you think well what if it's not there if I go back is have I I might have changed too much that maybe I won't have that connection anymore so I I think I've kind of kept his work at a bit of a distance in my older age and I like to just kind of have that memory and feeling of him and meeting her and it's a stunning city isn't it Madrid yeah yeah just really impressive you know the buildings Mm. and the architecture is just Mm. gorgeous yeah really love it yeah 
you know, we were talking about Paris and love, hate for me, like going to Madrid, it's like just love, you know, I just mm. love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And the, even the tapas culture. Oh, I love that in Spain. Me too. You know? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I do love Spain. I love even just hearing the language. Um, I just find it really easy on the air. And Do you have somewhere that you want to go to when we're able to go traveling? Well, that's it that's everybody's always asking me this question what's the what flight do you want to get and I have I want to go I would go anywhere but really I haven't seen my family since for like 18 months now it was uh new year two new years ago basically that I saw my parents and my sister and brother-in-law so that will be my first flight out of Ireland once you know I've got my vaccinations and everything um I will be going back to Lincoln to see them and my sister's in Nottingham. Um, so yeah, hands down that that's going to be the place that I will, you know, I, I want to, to go to before anywhere yeah. else. Um, so yeah, I'll have to go for the sentimental option this time for that. And all, yeah. And also I suppose the last year with lockdown and all that has made us appreciate mm. home more, hasn't it? For sure. Like we, I Skype with them every Sunday. So it's, we have that, but yeah, obviously screen time doesn't, no comparison really to the real thing so yeah like so many families are have been separated by covid so i think for, for most of us it'll be we can put the holiday on hold for a little bit longer we just want to exactly. see our, our loved ones first i would ask if you could please subscribe to apple podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week i would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.